Welcome to Econa Day Unplugged. Today is Tuesday, December 11th. I am Ann Picker, Econa Day's Chief Economist. And with me today are Mark Pender in Pennsylvania and Jeremy Hawkins across the pond in London. Mark, why did the people think the employment report was bad? Uh, Why did they think it was bad? Um... It was actually uh, incredibly favorable. It, it had a little bit of slowing uh, payroll growth, which was uh, welcome. Uh, there's a lot of capacity stress, lack of available labor right now. A little slower growth, 155 in non-farm payrolls. That's still enough to absorb new entrants into uh, Well, yep. apparently because it was below the consensus. Yes, well. Uh, that, was, that, that was the criteria. Yes, oh, I... I I see the point, of course, the Econoday's consensus was 190, but the priors was 250,000, so that was an outsized um, gain. If you average them together, you're still getting 190, which is probably more payroll growth than the economy can uh, can probably, or the, the labor market can can generate right now. There's a, uh, we had the JOLTS report on Monday, which uh, was a reminder that there's one million more job openings, seven million, than there are people looking for jobs, which is six million. And this is a, a one of a kind uh, inversion that we've never seen. And it also is going to cool a little bit of the uh, possible inflation pressures. We had only a zero point two percent rise in average hourly earnings in the November report, which was a tenth below expectations. And the year-on-year rate came back a little bit. So actually, I think it was an ideal report, giving the Fed a little bit more leeway. Um, And I think it's a plus for the market. It points to fewer rate heights ahead. Mark, what about fourth quarter GDP now? What is the kind of consensus on that? Uh, Two and a half, two and a half percent, a little bit slowing. We're going to get retail sales on Friday. That's going to be a major input into what we can expect to see for fourth quarter expecting to see a mixed report on Friday with the control sample, which is the input into personal consumption expenditures, expected to do pretty well. And uh, if that does do well, we could get a lift in those GDP expectations. But uh, right now, I guess we're getting a little bit of an easing setting up for next week's big FOMC report. What about expectations of next year? Because from over here now, it seems that people are starting to you know, downgrade their expectations of just how much Fed tightening we're going to see in 2019. Um, are they sort of getting ahead of the curve here? Or do you think it's broadly right that you know, the Fed now will start perhaps taking its foot off the pedal a little bit? Well, we're going to see that in the Wednesday FOMC projections a week from Wednesday. And they'll offer the what the framework will be for 2019 monetary policy. Right now, that's three uh, rate hikes um, penciled in. If that comes down to two, that's less resistance for monetary policy. means the Fed is going to not ease as much off the accelerator as expected, which would be a positive for uh, expectations and GDP expectations. Um, I think that that is a possibility, a, a very strong possibility that we'll see uh, two rate hikes penciled in uh, in next week from three. Uh, I think Jerome Powell's already telegraphed this. And uh, this employment report, a little bit easier now, um, you know, fits right into that picture. 
Isn't it true, though, that when one is nearing the turning point, it's the hardest to project? I mean, it, it's, you know, it can go either way. The probability is there's just so much growth that the economy can support. And then projecting the turning point becomes the issue. Yes, I'm not quite sure what you mean by a turning point. Um you mean the turning point in the in the Fed's monetary a pivot for the Fed's monetary? Policy? No, I'm talking about the growth in the economy, which which implicitly the Fed relies on. Well, the growth in the economy uh, has been very good. Of course, this year's you know we're looking at about a three percent range or a three percent. Maybe we'll go down a little bit in next year's projections. Uh, I think that is the expectation. Um, and uh, I think what really is of increasing importance now is the global picture, uh, global growth. Uh, of course, uh, China is in, is in the focus now, the trade wars. This risks um, whatever, you know, the tariff issues and whatever uh, unfair practices China um, you know, uh, or uh, has you know, uh, it uh, uh, gains advantage from um, undermining or slowing the Chinese economy uh, has global risks to it that will have an effect on uh, on our um, on our economy. So that is, I, I think, an unknown which makes 2019 uh, certainly a, uh, a a greater question uh, than a, a, a usual going into a year, which I think is another factor why the Fed is likely to uh, back off a little bit on its, uh, on its monetary stance. Um, how the market's going to react to this, it will be very, if, if there is a change in the FOMC, will be very interesting. Um, I, I would imagine it would be a positive for the stock market uh, going into year-end, um, which then again could give a lift to consumer sentiment and holiday spending. So it could be a, a, a positive week, and again, I like to go back to that employment report. You know, a little bit less heat there gives the, the Fed more room. Thank you, Mark. Jeremy, we have an ECB meeting looming on Thursday, and we have the grave Brexit situation. Yeah, let's let's get this Brexit out of the way first. What can we say? Well, as folks are probably aware, there's supposed to be the big Brexit vote taking place in UK Parliament today. But that was duly canned uh, by Prime Minister May yesterday. And I think it's got to be said that, well, it may be the festive season, but the Prime Minister is going to need Santa Claus to deliver a major Christmas miracle to get this current bill through the House of Commons. Um, the decision to pull the vote yesterday, I think, was clearly because you know the, the surveys had indicated that she would suffer a massive defeat, potentially with some 100 or so Conservative MPs voting against the bill. And that, to be honest, might well have been enough to actually lead to her, her downfall. And so just to, to kick her out of number 10 Downing Street. The issue now, of course, is what happens next. Well, for those people expected to be a complete rehash, it doesn't seem to be that way at the moment. Um, 
rather it seems as if the Prime Minister is now pinning her hopes on some kind of, I don't know, review of this Northern Ireland backstop, um, this part of the treaty which effectively seeks to ensure that there's no hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic uh, in the South. Um, that's all very well, but of course, uh, you know, the EU negotiators have already indicated they're in no way prepared to actually reopen negotiations again. So we're kind of back to square one and, and no one's got a clue what's going to happen. I mean, there's still sort of, you know, the five main options open to her, which could be we end up with no deal, which would be absolutely worst case as far as the UK economy and the pounds concerned and indeed for the Europe as well. Um, she can try to renegotiate some aspects of the deal. But as I mentioned, that doesn't seem to be a starter. Hold a general election to try and get some kind of new mandate from the UK population, but the risk is there, of course, that she might lose it. Hold a second referendum, but it seems as if a government is still firmly committed against that. Or indeed, we might see opposition parties push for some kind of vote of no confidence. And in some way, there seems to be more speculation that that could be the or about a solution to the issue, but certainly uh, very much a potential eventuality sooner rather than later. Um, that said, I suppose it's also just worth mentioning a couple of things that happened last week surrounding this. There was an important vote on what happens um, if the government were to lose the Brexit vote in Parliament. Um, one of the issues coming out of that was that it seems now that Parliament itself will get a much bigger say in terms of what happens about Brexit if this deal is defeated. So it could well be the case that as and when this deal comes to the House of Commons, and all we know at the moment from what the Prime Minister is saying is it's expected to be held at by the 21st of January that next year, but we still don't know when. But um, if it does come back and it's defeated, then it could be the case that Parliament's going to start having a bigger say in what happens next. And if that's the case, then almost certainly the, the, uh, the MPs will try to prevent any kind of you know, leaving the EU without some sort of a deal. So bottom line, it seems to me at this stage is all we can say is that it seems likely that we're going to see a continued period of volatility for the pound in UK markets in general over the next several weeks. And personally, I think there's an increasing chance that we could actually see the Article 50 deadline, so the Brexit deadline itself of March the 29th, just simply being extended. For that to happen, it would require the UK government to request it. It would also have to get the nod from every other EU member. But I think, you know, by and large, people want to see this being sorted out. If that's what it takes, then so be it. What else? As you mentioned, we also have Jeremy? the ECB. Yeah. Well, now, how is sorting getting? How ex, how is extending the deadline sorting it out? It's quite simply because at the end of the day, I mean, the only good aspect I think you can say about Brexit at the moment is that nobody wants to walk away without any kind of a deal because it's bad for the rest of the EU and it's clearly very bad for the UK. So the hope is that in some shape or form, if they extend the negotiations period, some bright person in some bright corner somewhere can come out with a solution which you know, tackles this Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland issue or indeed any other aspects of the negotiations which haven't gone down well with the two two sides so far, and they come out with some kind of compromise deal. Is that possible? Personally, it seems increasingly hard to me, given the divisions on the two sides, but that's what the hope's going to be, because no one wants a no-deal Brexit come the end of next March. Um, the ECB, Jeremy. 
ECB indeed. Right. ECB, what have we got then? So everyone expecting, uh, where are we on Thursday, the ECB to announce uh, the end of its 2.7 trillion euro quantitative easing programme. So the last auctions are expected to be completed by the end of this year. That looks to be a done deal. Not necessarily, but I'll be very surprised if that weren't to happen, which means then that the issue is going to be what the ECB decides to do with its balance sheet going forward. And that means that what it has to say about its reinvestment policy will probably determine how the market reacts. At the moment, this aims to ensure that principal payments uh, from maturing securities, which were purchased uh, under the bond programme, are reinvested for what the ECB describes as an extended period of time and after the and well after the end of net asset purchases. I'd have thought they'd probably come out and repeat that line. If they were to do anything which suggests that perhaps the reinvestment programme would be altered in some way, or at least you know, reduced, that would be taken by markets as a first, albeit you know, short step, but first step towards some kind of tightening. That will be taken extremely badly by the bond market, or that may possibly help the euro. The other thing I should quickly mention with regards to the ECB, they're also due to make some announcement about what they're doing with a so-called capital key. This is uh, the procedure by which they allocate the ECB's bond buying of sovereign debt across the various countries, and it's something which, by and large, investors normally ignore. However, in this case, we know that it should lead to a reduction in ECB purchases of Italian debt, you know, particularly you know, BTBs. And that's coming out at the time, and of course, we've got this ongoing problem, this standoff between the EU Commission and the Italian government about their deficit, what's going to happen to it. So anything which helps reduce you know, a buying of a sovereign debt in Italy next year is going to be bad news for that market and could lead to a few problems there. So that's something well worthwhile keeping an eye on. Now, I just finished, if I've got time on the SNB, they're also due to make their policy announcement on Thursday and nothing whatsoever is expected new out of that. Jeremy, uh, France is lurking on the debt side, it seems. It is. Um, is and, that, and that potentially can complicate matters. It can. I think you're right. I mean, France is starting to become an interesting case. I mean, I think we just touched on it briefly last week with the rioting which was taking place in Paris and what that means for the Macron administration. Well, it now seems that uh, the so-called yellow vests, uh, the bright vests of this, this, this um the uh, the people who are actually trying to protest against government policy are getting their own way. So we know now that uh, Macron is prepared to come out and renege on some of the planned tax increases. He's also talking about hiking the minimum wage at the beginning of next year. So in terms of you know the original view that the introduction of this kind of you know capitalist businessman to come in and really shake up and reform the way the French economy works, that appears to be rapidly going out the window. And it's interesting. Talk about you know the government debt market out there. Well, the French uh, oat market is, is you know is underperforming quite significantly now, and I think it really is a sign that longer term investors are starting to have some perhaps significant doubts about just how French fiscal policy is going to play out going forward. Jeremy, is there going to be a Q4 GDP effect in the eurozone? And if so, from this from France, will it just be assumed that it will be reversed in the first? Um, 
there may be a small impact. I think at this stage, uh, and the real problem has been relatively localised to Paris. It has caused disruption, certainly in supply chains and things like that. But I'd be surprised if you'd you know, really see an impact of more than that, what, say, 0.1 or so off you know, the GDP growth figure for the fourth quarter. Um, that's, of course, assuming that you know what Macron has done so far now starts to prevent the riots from spreading across the rest of the country, because then you would certainly start to have some major problems. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Mark. Until next week.